Brothers and sisters, perhaps there has never been a promotion like this one. And don't we love the rags-to-riches motif in storytelling? I think here of a, quite a number of stories that I've heard, sure you have too, uh, whether in movies or, uh, or in classic literature, stories that tell uh, of a person who, who starts out low, uh, way low on the spectrum, uh, down low in status, and yet one who rises, one who succeeds and gains in success and prestige. We love it. We love it because most of us fit the mold. We, uh, we are nobodies. Uh, I know I've quoted it before, but it's one of my favorite poems. So let me uh, give you Emily Dickinson's, I'm Nobody, Who Are You? And it goes like this. I'm nobody, who are you? Are you nobody too? Well, then there's a pair of us. Don't tell, they'd advertise, you know. How dreary to be somebody... How public like a frog to tell one's name the live-long June to an admiring bog. Well, we sit here this morning, a, a small church, no surprise there, no secret there, a, a, a small church in a relatively small community. Uh, none of us, uh, I think, terribly well-known, none of us greatly connected, as we say, even within the limited confines of our present circumstances in West Central Indiana. And so the rags to riches thing is is likely to work for us. Uh, We enjoy reading the narrative of Joseph uh, simply on the basis of the bare story itself. uh, He started out in the promised land. He was sold as a slave by his uh, Uh, jealous brothers. Uh, He was taken to Egypt. He was sold again as a slave, and yet he did not give up. Uh, He was willing to serve no matter where he was sent. Sold as a slave, and and so he served Potiphar. Uh, In prison unjustly, and so he served the keeper of of the jail. And then he was released from prison, but but released only when he was needed which accentuates uh, that he was released in order again to serve. It's hard to hear this story without uh, picking up on the theme of service. Uh, whether Wherever God places us, we are called to serve. Uh, like Joseph, the, the point of the Christian life is, uh, is not to exalt ourselves, but simply to serve. And, and maybe, just maybe, like Joseph, our status will increase. We will advance, and perhaps we too will end up with our own rags-to-riches story. So once again, we, we can read this story, this ongoing, much-loved, even made-into-a-Broadway musical story, uh, and we can take from it a significant degree of encouragement Serve wherever God places you. That's a, that's a great motto. It's, it's a piece of advice, even in our modern world. And, and you've heard that before. You know, bloom where you're planted. Uh, if life hands you lemons, make lemonade. Uh, whatever God gives you to do, do it with all your heart. 
But is that all there is to this story? An example to follow? No, because as we've said before, here is a picture, a a prefiguration, as we say, of our Lord Jesus. And, And how appropriate that we should arrive at this story, I think, on Easter Sunday. Because again, as we've also said in the past, Joseph and his life and experience all points us to Christ. So I I would not neglect the opportunity to say, bloom where you're planted. Uh, Whatever God gives you to do, do it with all your heart. But in the preaching of God's word, we must insist on seeing Jesus. We must not settle for advice when here indeed in prophecy is not just the call to do, but the good news of what has been done for us in Christ. So first, Joseph's promotion. Last time, as Joseph was released from prison after being forgotten for two whole years, the text says, we made mention that uh, here is a picture of the resurrection. So to be exact, what we are seeing now, perhaps we could understand it this way, is not just his resurrection, but even our Lord's ascension to heaven. It ought to remind us of how Jesus told his disciples, I must be lifted up. But what did he mean by that, to be lifted up? As we know the story, we we can assume that he was referring to the cross that uh, awaited him when he spoke these words, the Son of Man must be lifted up. And by his cross, he was lifted up to scorn, to derision, to suffering, and even to death by that Roman cross. But Hebrews 12 says that it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. And in other words, by by referring to being lifted up, Jesus was also referring to his resurrection and his ascension to the right hand of the Father. Well, so with Joseph's release from prison. His release itself gives us a a picture of resurrection. And an Egyptian prison was surely more akin to death row in our own day than to just being in the county jail for a time. Uh, There were few and far between who having gone into an Egyptian dungeon, managed to come back out again, which makes it more clear why the cupbearer's escape and his release was so remarkable. It also makes it more clear why it was so remarkable that once he was released, the cupbearer forgot Joseph as well, released from prison, delivered from death, Here now is Joseph as well. And in him we can see Christ, our risen Lord, in Joseph's experience. And again, this is especially true given that Joseph was not just released from prison, but released to serve. And not only was he released to serve, he was released to serve in such a way, in, in, in such a capacity as to save people. Do we understand that that that's where our Lord Jesus is 
and where He is for us. I think this is a, a much forgotten teaching of Scripture that, that even as Jesus uh, has been raised, so He has been raised to ascend to heaven. We might ask ourselves the, the question, why, why is Easter such a big deal? And Ascension Day, which comes on a Thursday, is, uh, is like nothing. Who wants, to, who wants to go to church in the middle of the week? Uh, who, who would celebrate the ascension of Christ when there are no presents to open, there's no eggs to color, there's no candy to go find? But brothers and sisters, consider, consider that the resurrection of Christ is not yet our salvation without the ascension of Christ. If Christ was raised from the dead but not ascended, then we have no salvation. But as he has been raised from the dead, and even as he has ascended to the right hand of the Father, so we have ascended. He has taken us with himself into the very presence of God. The challenge for us is, is that we, we don't understand the servanthood of Christ. For Christ to be at the right hand of the Father is, is certainly a place of honor. That's how we usually think about it, right? It's, uh, the right hand of the Father is a place of honor. But the problem is that that's only as far as we see it. And, and our Lord certainly deserves to be in, in the place of highest honor at the right hand of the Father. But what we might fail to see is, is that the one who is at the right hand of the, of the Father is there to serve. And he's there to serve you and me. He's there to serve us. And what is his duty as he serves what is the saving task of Christ as a saving servant at the right hand of the Father? He is there to mediate for you. He is there to intercede for us. He is there to save us. No less than being born and laid in a manger, so He is at the Father's right hand to save us. No less than living a perfect life to save us, so He is at the Father's right hand to save us. No less than suffering and dying in our place, making atonement for our sin. So he is at the Father's right hand to save us. I think the problem is that we have trouble understanding what a king is. Uh, we don't have a king, although if you look at the presidency of the United States, it seems like things are going back in that direction. But otherwise, we don't have a king. And, and, and so when we think of someone sitting or standing at the Father's right hand, we, we, we seem to only think of the honor of it, which is true. But the honor that belongs to Christ at the right hand of the Father is the honor of serving the Father. And how does Christ serve the Father? By fulfilling the will of of the Father to mediate for, to represent His people, and thereby to save those whom the Father had given Him to save. The time to remember this is when we are under the conviction of sin. Um, when children misbehave, uh, they dread having their mother find out or 
dread the return of uh, their father to home, uh, is it not understood that uh, for children or adults, misbehavior is sin, even an offense against the holy God whose eye is always upon us? So here's the question, how, how dare we come to the God who owes us punishment, the God to whom we owe our very death? How dare we come to him and ask for a blessing? And yet you can with Christ as your Savior. In fact, you should ask him for his blessing. God himself calls you to ask. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. What is, what, what is the amazing profundity of this call from God for us to pray to him and, and to seek his blessing? It is the fact that we are sinners. Criminals don't report in at the police station. Uh, violators of the law don't appear in court voluntarily unless they have a mediator, unless they have hope of one who serves to represent them, to mediate for them, especially if that mediator, and this is uh, the case with Christ, especially if that mediator has already been punished in their place. And that's who Christ is for us. That's who Joseph was for the people of Egypt, for the surrounding nations, and eventually for his own family. And that's who Christ is for us. So next is Joseph's plan. And uh, it was indeed Joseph's plan. It, it wasn't that Pharaoh said, uh, listen, I have a plan and I want you to be part of it and to carry it out for me. Instead, it was Joseph's plan. Having interpreted Pharaoh's dreams, really, again, it was one dream. So, so Joseph gave his, his interpretation, but he also gave his counsel to Pharaoh. He said, uh, now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. It's Joseph's plan. And so now the second half of the chapter, or in the second half, we see Joseph chosen by Pharaoh as uh, just the man for the job, carrying out his own plan, Joseph's own plan. But we also know, do we not, even though it's, it's not explicit in the text, that this was God's plan. What seems clear is that Joseph not only correctly interpreted Pharaoh's dream, he also correctly applied, applied it, the dream, in terms of what should therefore be done. He explained that there were seven years of good harvest, probably even of exceptional harvest. And then would come seven years of drought and, and famine. But so what? What's to be done? Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dream in this respect as well. And what about our Lord? We know, of course, that, that his coming into this world was according to a plan. We've been pointing out over and over again from Genesis that, that it was an ancient plan. Uh, 
a plan within the mind of God from the beginning. The seed of Eve would crush the head of the serpent. The offspring of Abraham would be born in order to be a blessing to every nation on earth. Beyond Genesis, the son of David would sit forever upon a throne of grace, ruling for the, for the, the healing and the blessing of the people of God. The plan, the plan, the plan, all the way through the Hebrew Scriptures. Yes, Noah can teach us to be faithful and diligent. Uh, yes, Abraham can teach us to be patient. Uh, Jacob can teach us in the negative, not to be like him in so many respects. Moses can, can teach us to be submissive to what God wants us to do. David can teach us not to commit adultery uh, and, and to kill people to cover up our sin. Daniel can teach us to be courageous. Isaiah and Jeremiah can teach us to be suffering servants of God. But the further point, the greater point indeed, is the plan, the plan, the plan of God. There has always been some debate as to how much Jesus of Nazareth understood the plan of God from his earliest years. Another Broadway musical contains a, a song which says, uh, Jesus Christ, superstar, who in the world do you think you are? Who did Jesus think he was? Well, it seems clear to me that Jesus understood, even from a, a very young age, perhaps even from conception, at least from cognition that he was the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Savior whom God had sent according to the plan. But that question aside, there can be no doubt that throughout his ministry, Jesus was always heading toward his cross. Two weeks ago, we were dealing with the claim of Jesus that he is the bread of life. And we pointed out that uh, this was only the first of the seven I am statements in the gospel record. I am, I am, I am, said Jesus seven times over so that we can clearly hear that Jesus knew who he was. He knew who he was and there was no time in his life when he had to figure it out before going forward. And in John ten seventeen, he even said, For this reason, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Okay, so this statement from Jesus doesn't con- or this statement doesn't contain the word plan. But what do we hear? We hear the word reason. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life. And we hear the word authority, an authority given to Jesus by His Father to lay down His life for His sheep. And so we hear the word charge, this charge I have received from my Father said Jesus, and so we must remember uh, what Jesus clearly understood, that he had come into this world according to a plan 
within the mind of God. And this is ultimately the way the Apostle John, or why the Apostle John begins his gospel by referring to Jesus as the Word. In the, in the Greek, the word is logos, and it, and it means uh, certainly word. Jesus is the word of God in our own flesh, but it also means reason. It means sense, structure, order. In other words, Jesus not only came according to the plan of God, it's fair to say that Jesus is the plan of God to make sense out of this confusing world that we live in. But the question is whether we will choose the chaos and the confusion or whether we will listen to the plan. We are a little bit beyond the season for football, but... uh, It makes me think of the offensive huddle at the start of every play. The team gathers, their heads are together in order to hear what the plan is. And then they run the plan, they run the play. And that's what church is each Sunday. It's a a holy huddle. Some people have mocked the, the church by calling it that, a holy huddle. But that's really what it is. Not that any of us is perfect, except by the righteousness of Christ. But as we start each week, we need to remember what the plan is, which is really to say we need to remember who Jesus is and the blessing and the hope that we have in him. And the same is true of our family worship time and our personal devotional time that we need to to come back to the plan. There might be there might be hundred uh, hundreds of things to go wrong in a single day. Mother always said there'd be days like that, right? But there is a plan. And in one sense, it's a plan that has already been fulfilled. We're just waiting for the dust to settle. As we look to Christ in faith and long for his return in glory according to the plan. But then we hear about Joseph's progeny. And like we pointed out uh, uh, about various things in other passages in Genesis, it it almost seems like a passing reference. Uh, oh, by the way, Joseph also got married and had two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Just FYI, so you know. But the significance comes with the names themselves. Manasseh means forgetfulness, given that Joseph had now established a life apart from his, his family. And Ephraim means fruitful. So the point is... Uh, is, is not just that Joseph moved on. Sometimes that gets said, right? Uh, hey, you just got to move on, you know. Uh, water under the bridge, time to move on. But this was not the point, because Joseph's second son was named Ephraim, meaning fruitful. 
Joseph said, For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Once again, we can hardly miss the connection to Christ because it was exactly through our Lord's affliction that he was fruitful. Takes us back to Psalm 1, to that blessed man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. We might read these words from Psalm 1 and and think of Joseph. Consider the counsel that uh, he heard from Potiphar's wife. Come to bed with me, she said. Joseph didn't do that. He walked not in the counsel of the wicked, nor did he stand in the way of sinners, nor did he sit in the seat of scoffers, but he kept his wits about him, we might say. And he only sought to serve wherever he went. But we can also read Psalm 1. So We go from Joseph back to Psalm 1, or maybe forward to Psalm 1, but ultimately we can think of Christ. We can read Psalm 1 and we can... We can think to ourselves, not wrongly so, uh, that uh, here is a picture of Joseph and here is a call for us to, to do likewise. Uh, even like the life of Joseph, we can, we can read Psalm 1 and decide, yes, that's what I'm going to do and that's what I'm not going to do in, in my life. I'm, I'm not going to walk in the counsel of the wicked. I'm not going to stand in the way of sinners. I'm not going to sit in the seat of scoffers. Instead, my delight will be in the law uh, in, in God's word, and I, w- I will be found by my wife and my children. Uh, I will be seen by the world as daily meditating upon God's word. That's a good reading of Psalm 1. All well and good. And read the story of Joseph's life as an example. But Joseph wasn't perfect, and the man of Psalm 1 is, is something that we can only aspire to be always falling short of it. The point instead is Christ. The life of Joseph prefigures Christ, and the man of Psalm 1 is ultimately Christ himself, which we see in Psalm 1 when it goes on to say, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. Okay, so it's, it's fruitful. But then this, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. How can this be anyone other than our Lord Jesus Christ? And what we need to see is is that even as Manasseh and Ephraim were the progeny of Joseph, so we ourselves are the progeny of Jesus. By Joseph's work, he gave life to the people. And by the work of Christ, we have been born again. Some would say, uh, believe in Jesus, and by your faith you will be born again. But Scripture actually teaches that grace comes first. That first comes grace, first comes the new birth, and by the new birth, conviction for sin repentance from unbelief and faith in Jesus Christ. We, we know that unlike Joseph, Jesus never married. He had no wife, he had no children. Or did he? 
Isaiah 53 says of Jesus, It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So did Jesus have any children during his life on earth? Actually, he did. By way of his saving work, by way of his own birth and his sinless life, by way of his suffering in the place of sinners and his atoning death, Jesus had children. He had many children. He had you, if you are a Christian. And he had me, which is to say, by way of his work, according to the plan of God, He gave birth, the new birth, unto those whom the Father had given him to save. And so finally, Joseph's provision, uh, a uh, a fourth point, but really the case has already been made. In Psalm 1, the obedience, the, the faithfulness of the man makes him the source of blessing to others. Can we hear it? He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. Even more, its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. And can we not see Joseph in that description? In all that he does, he prospers. Lucky Joseph, right? Sold into slavery, and yet he prospered in the house of Potiphar, falsely accused, and yet he prospers in prison, a slave to Pharaoh, and yet he prospers. But it wasn't luck. I think we should banish that word from our vocabulary because there is no such thing. And it robs God of the credit due to him. It wasn't luck, it was God's plan. And yes, God's plan gave prosperity, but don't forget prosperity by way of suffering and affliction. And does that not sound familiar? So the point is to see Christ our Lord, that he is the antitype to Joseph. He is the fulfillment of what we see in Joseph. By his affliction, the many are blessed. And he is the one truly being spoken of in Psalm 1. By his obedience and faithfulness, Christ became, he became life to us. On this day, which if you want, you can call it Easter, that's fine. But this is the Lord's day. We are here weekly to remember and celebrate the resurrection of Christ. But don't forget the ascension. And don't forget that uh, where he is now is at the right hand of the Father and that he he is there to serve. He is there to serve his Father. But what is his Father? What has his Father given him to do to serve you in being your Savior? so that you have that absolute assurance in Christ that when you go 
to God's throne. It is a throne of grace. Christ serves you by giving you life, even unto repentance and faith. And he did his work exactly through affliction. So when you're afflicted, like Joseph, like Jesus, continue to serve. Go beyond the example, however, to understand that Joseph foreshadows Jesus and that Jesus is not just your example He is the one who saves. His provision is your salvation. He is there for you because you are a sinner. He is there for you because he is for you. He is your Savior. Trust him and rejoice. Amen. Father in heaven, what a glorious picture we have, yes, in the life of Joseph, but throughout your word. What a glorious, not just picture, but proclamation of of what is, as you decree it, according to your plan. Help us to submit to your decree, to your plan. Help us to look to Christ and to keep looking. To so set our eyes upon Christ, even at the right hand of your throne, dear Father in heaven, that we might be sure and that we might find comfort and that we might know and act beyond all doubt with Jesus as our Savior. In His name we pray. Amen.